I'm Teffer. I'm Caddy. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah. yeah. like to take this time to acknowledge that the studio where we record is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today, and every day, to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and the Indigenous communities of that area. If you live in Canada, like we do yesterday, was the uh, Day of Truth and Reconciliation when we uh, commemorate those Indigenous people, uh, especially the Indigenous children who have lost their lives in the residential schools, but also just generally the lives lost to the colonial empire uh, of Canada. And it's a time with a lot of complicated feelings and politics and a lot of contradictions and uh, a lot of um, issues with our government paying lip service to commemoration while also continuing to perpetuate genocide. Uh, So, you know... It's good to take some time to maybe look at your local politics and the things you can do to respect and honor (laughs) the people (laughs) who uh, have the rights to uh, the resources and the land that we live on. Well said. So speaking of things that are conflicted and problematic. (laughs) (laughs) That's a segue. That's called... A we are it. once again going back in time, and today we're talking about The Princess Diaries by Meg Cabot, the novel, the first <laughs> of 11 novels in the Princess Diaries series. I mean, I grew up reading these books as they came out. This was mm. like true YA experience for me living in the era. The first one was, was literally, yeah, it was released in 2000. So it's like absolutely y2k millennial literature here going back to it uh with 22 years um hindsight (laughs) is definitely an experience but caddy was this your first time reading this it was my introductory (laughs) reading of this series and i mean it's cheesy like wow 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 um but i had seen the movie so hey i was gonna ask it was interesting to kind of go like i've only seen the movie like once or twice i won't Mm -hmm. like i'm not i'm not die hard on this one but um it was interesting to kind of go like oh there's some there's some nuances here there's some significant differences between the book and the movie yes 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 okay I feel like this is a nice place to start. What was there anything that like really surprised you as someone who had seen the movie and not read the book? Oh, I th- um hmm. the whininess. <laughs> mhm. Shall we say? Mm-hmm. Um and I don't I, I mean, I think that the hard part with with this story is that like I was 16 in the year 2000. So, like I think this character is a little close to my heart and mm-hmm. 
Um, therefore, my brain wants to throw her to the alligators kind of thing. Um, this is a lot of whining by Mia Thermopolis yes. throughout this book. Um, and I think that um, I was sort of expecting an Anne Hathaway right. um, type of character who is like, you know, um, adorable and um, effortless, effortlessly elegant, even when she's pretending to be um, clumsy. Uh, however, I was faced with a character that got on my nerves, that felt whiny, that didn't, um, yeah, that just like, I think I had such an issue with like the way that she is rude to her mom around her yeah. mom dating her math teacher and stuff like that. Like it just, I was just unimpressed. There you go. I think, yes, if your introduction to Mia Thermopolis is Anne Hathaway, you're not necessarily prepared for the uh, unapologetically accurate <laughs> privileged white 14 year old 15 year old 15 year old um, flat chested living in Manhattan where who wants boobs. yeah yeah where her biggest problem is that she does not have boobs um I feel like we have run into this this before with books that are very uh uh accurate <laughs> to early teenagers where you just yeah. want to throw them up against a wall or against a wall I feel like those have different connotations and I am like I am like oh they're just children <laughs> they are but there is definitely a lot of cringe there's so m well I think you put it very nicely when you texted me there is a reason 14 year olds journals are not meant to be read well yes uh, <laughs> um, I mean a lot of that happened when, um, oh, okay, so listen, I'm, I'm going on the assumption that everyone knows the synopsis of this story. T girl in New York City finds out she is a princess, also Boom. has crushes. That's basically the whole story. Princess of a, a country that does not exist, but sounds a lot like Monaco. Uh, <laughs> I think that when she starts journaling about her dad's testicles and his inability <laughs> to produce sperm. I was like, oh, I'm done. I'm old now. This is it. Um, oh, nope. Nope, nope, nope. 14 year olds don't need to play this game. And then um, I think the incessant I want breasts talk yeah. um, also got on my nerves real hard. So, yeah, I think that there's, it, it's like, um, I don't want to say that it's like vapid. But um, I think you there, can say that it's vapid. Yeah, I, th I think that's fair. There's a certain um, uh, uh, lack of intelligence, lack of um, drive and want for anything beyond boys attention kind yeah. of thing. And that, um, you know, I'm glad that authors grew out of it. I'm, I'm glad Meg, Meg Cabot grew out of it as well. Um, well, and in fact, Mia grows out of it over exactly. the course of the series, which is... That's what I was going to ask you. Oh, so yeah, great. yeah. So one thing that I like, I hadn't read this book in ages, but I have read the series, I don't know, so many times. Uh, and I forgot how early in the story the first book ends. Like, this is really... I mean, even if you see the movie, the movie, like, takes on some of the second book as well. Uh, I mean, the movie... Man. Okay. We'll have to talk about the movie as an adaptation later. Um, sure. Because, like, it's it's a loose adaptation, let's just say. Just not very much happens 
in the first installment of The Princess Diaries. Mia finds out her father is impotent due to testicular... Well, not impotent, but can no longer... He's sterile. Um, yes. Those have different connotations due to cancer, <laughs> testicular cancer. She is weirded and grossed out, as you know a teenager would be at this knowledge, um, and that she is therefore the, the heir to the throne of Genovia, which is a wild little touristic destination that seems to also be very Marxist somehow. Um, and I yep. really would like to know more about the politics of Genovia. There's no taxes <laughs> need to be paid by the citizens of Genovia. Yes. This is amazing. And yet it's very and yet it's Marxist. So I guess I guess I mean I'd have to get into it. I guess if the if the means of production is being evenly distributed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, okay. I'm there. But it's also a monarchy. Exactly. So it's like the first ever tourist funded Marxist monarchy. Uh-huh. In Europe. However, Yes, you asked about how Mia grows through the series. And I think, I mean, I'd have to go back and read it to be sure. But from what I remember, the first two books, which I believe is Princess Diaries and then Princess in the Spotlight. That's the one? Yeah. Um, kind of make the first chapter of the story together. And I find it very difficult to end the book sort of at the to end the story at the end of the first book because it has a very rushed ending where you have kind of inclinations of a lot of things to come, but you don't really like go anywhere with it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we could also talk a lot about Lily, like Lily, who is Mia's best friend, who kind of treats her like garbage. Uh <laughs> Wow. All the time. It's, it's not even, there's, there's, it's not even funny. Like, there comes yeah. a point where you're just like, oh, can we be nice? Like, yeah. Yes, the relationships progress. And I think part of that is Meg Cabot writing these books over, I think, the course of a decade. Um, so we have a real development both in Mia and probably in Meg Cabot and in Lily, but also in like during that decade of 2000 to 2010, a really big shift in how we were writing for youth, which I think really kind of came, I think the big shift really happened at 2012. We've talked about that before with Hunger Games and kind of this switch into more self-actualized go-getter protagonists, female protagonists specifically, because boys have had that for generations. Um, <laughs> but you do see this development and you do actually over the course of the book see Mia at one point cut Lily off and say, you can't treat me like crap anymore. I'm not going to put up with that anymore. And, you know, you're always telling me to become self-actualized and now I am, and you're mad at me for it. Um, Interesting. So we do see that. We see development with her, obviously, nascent relationship with Michael, um, with them kind of figuring things out, breaking up, getting back together. Like, it it goes over a journey. It goes over a process. And I, uh, and I haven't read the later books in a while, but I do remember her also kind of mellowing on the boy craziness, recognizing the importance of having friend circles. She becomes better friends with Tina, who is probably my favorite character in the series. I love her. I love her She's so much. a delight. Yes. And in this first book, she gets treated terribly. Um, <laughs> she gets treated terribly. And... Um, you are making me feel a lot better because, I mean, I enjoy Meg Cabot's books, um, especially her more contemporary ones. Yeah. But I was I was sort of like, ooh, ooh, are we in a problematic series? And hearing you say that um, gives me uh, 
hope that yeah. one day on a beach I'll be reading the rest of the series and kind of enjoying the the the, the personality development uh, and the maturing mm-hmm. of the characters. The the I think kind of limiting factor that can be very difficult in these books is we have a. Um, limited first person narrator and we have a completely unreliable narrator so these books are entirely Mia's journals so she is not self-aware she is ignorant as hell um she is like extraordinarily privileged uh she has two loving parents one of whom is a monarch uh who despite not being together have managed to have a completely like adequate cordial co-parenting relationship and like talk to each other about how they're going to break news to her she has a a, a sociopathic grandmother but like she's mostly comic relief um Mm. and i do think it speaks to meg cabot's skill as a writer that you can tell like and this is what I really noticed rereading it here is that you know where Mia's limitations are and you can see where Mia is being ignorant both in the like being a dick to people way and also in the letting people take advantage of her way um you really do see that all if you are a (laughs) grown-up however when I was reading this as a 13 year old (laughs) I did not necessarily pick up on those nuances and oh my god okay do you want to hear a a really embarrassing story absolutely which also involves Eunice even better so in middle school or high school like early teens uh we were reading Princess Diaries um and you know all of those books at the time that were trying to be Princess Diaries and we decided that our friend group should have a shared journal so we had this, there was three of us, and we had this notebook. Uh, it was mostly me and Eunice because we were the ones who were really living out our YA protagonist fantasies the hardest. Foreshadowing. <laughs> if I've ever heard of foreshadowing, there it is. Got it. But there was, uh, there was one or maybe sometimes two other friends who were in on it, and we would pass it around. We would take her turns taking it home and writing entries and then you'd pass it to the next person and you'd read and annotate and we did horrible things like ranking the boys in our class and you know the other horrible things that that teenagers do um but it was really like very influenced by these diary books and very much like main character syndrome <laughs> like okay may i share an embarrassing story please of my own I also had a shared diary with my high school best friend. Yeah, totes. It was like an easier way of expressing feelings because verbally Mm. just didn't make sense to me because of how I was raised. So, Mm. And we didn't have texting yet. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So um, I am here for it. And I actually wouldn't call this an embarrassing story. I think it's wonderful that you found a way to express all of that and that it brought you and Eunice even closer closer together shout out to Eunice whom we love shout out to Eunice yeah but yeah so 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 let's can we talk a little bit about like we've talked generally about the problematics of this book but can we get into some of the specifics of this book yep so like I would like to talk about Lily (laughs) and, and and friendship 
Yes, go ahead. I am excited. Lily is Mia's best friend. I think just from school. I think they know each other from school. And 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 she sucks. Like Lily is the worst. Like Lily is mean to Mia. Yes. Like constantly she is constantly putting her down she is constantly making her just like dragging her along on her own things lily literally has her own cable television show that her parents pay for um and she just like hauls mia along as her producer if there's anybody in this book who is more privileged than mia it is lily who is extremely wealthy has a like gorgeous apartment in one of the fancy parts of new york has two psychoanalyst parents who like love each other and have what seems like a fantastic relationship so i don't know how they ended up raising this child who's (laughs) just actually genuinely the worst and seems to have no idea how friendship works i find that really funny that you describe her that way because i'm like Lily is okay so Lily is depicted in this book as like a true like militant hardcore on every topic and I'm like how did you become so obsessed with oppression ya ding dong you've never (laughs) you've never like experienced it like there's that made me it made me giggle at times because I was like, mm, there are not that many self-aware 14, 15-year-olds. 14, and I mean, the ones that are aware generally have um, experienced some yeah. stuff or have, um, in my experience, um, been raised in, uh, you know, been raised in a way where these topics and these values are at the forefront uh, of for the entire family unit Um, whereas really it's just like she just woke up angry and I get it anger can reside in the body of an adolescent but uh, it was a stretch for me she's (laughs) she's very Lena Dunham Oh my goodness. And as you say that, I just realized that Heather Matarazzo, who plays her in the movie, and Lena Dunham have like similar shaped faces. That or all white people look the same to me. I'm sorry. That's okay. People often tell me, used to tell me that I look like Lena Dunham all the time. So I'm willing to accept that all white people look the same. (laughs) Um, Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, no, she's, I mean, like, like, so... She is Jewish. Yes. Which is like a a people group that has historically faced oppression. And I could see that maybe her parents have some like, we don't ever see them expressing any kind of of, uh, radical uh, positions. But I could see them maybe like, maybe she got raised in a, maybe they go to a synagogue with like strong social justice or something. Or she just got real into the riot girls because like Ani DeFranco gave oh. me all kinds of nonsense ideas that I didn't understand as a teenager. That? Who is another problematic person from the early 2000s. <clears throat> yep. Um, but yes. Um, <laughs> yes. And yes. Interesting point. Um, but yes, I think that uh, because it's also um, Lily's brother, Michael, his reaction to his sister is just kind of a like, eh, she's this is just the way she yeah. is. And yeah. like, you know, you can you can sort of tell that he eye rolls at her a little yeah. bit, but but he still is a kind, supportive brother because he's the nice guy. Yeah. Um, and that made me think that like it wasn't across the board. I think. Yeah. Because otherwise, her brother would also be like, 
um, a little a little better informed, I guess, or a bit yeah, like maybe. yeah. He does like argue back at her with big words, but uh, true. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, Lily, it's like a shitty friend, and also for somebody with psychoanalyst parents sure spends a lot of time like literally taunting a predator which is not behavior one should emulate um to be fair i think i think their parents do not appreciate that or um so uh lily just absolutely the worst example of friendship and uh very happy to say that that mia starts putting some boundaries there later i also think it is nice that when mia starts making another friend because she and lily have a falling out because lily is just a giant asshole to her yeah, when, when she the word i was that was coming up to me was come that comes out as a princess but like when her grandmother gives her a makeover, Lily just gets extremely pissed. And it's like yes. very much the weird catty jealousy thing, which it's like true. I super don't like. And um, then Mia makes friends with Tina Hakim Baba, who is like, yes, she she is fat and she is brown and she gets treated <laughs> badly for both those things. Oh and she God. is just like... She is like the foil to Lily. Like Tina just wants to have a good time. She wants to read a romance novel. And like with Tina's friendship, Mia gets to kind of lean into her softer, more like romantic swoony side, which yes. like, let's be real. She doesn't need to be fantasizing any more than she is. But like, <laughs> but having, a f- I think, a friend that she can indulge that side in. Yes. With. And who relates? Exactly. And, and, because... Because Tina Hakim, I love saying her name out like yeah. her name, her full name. I think it's a great full name for a character. Um, her dad is a shake. Yeah. And she is like super overprotected. Yeah. Um, because her dad's super afraid that she's gonna get kidnapped, which made me like I was just like, oh yes, this is like pre-9-11. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like no 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 um so yeah so um i don't know she's she's an interest she's an interesting one and i'm sure that she is the true um ugly duckling who turns into this phenomenal swan or anyway she better become a swan um i think because she deserves her glow up the thing with tina that like so I haven't read the later books in a really long time, but from what I remember, what actually happens, like rather than her changing in any way or like having a makeover or anything, the other characters just gradually realize what a babe she is as their like friendship goes on. And there's like kind of the moments of being like, oh, she is actually like really, really pretty. And I like never noticed that because I was too busy seeing her bodyguard or her books or whatever. Um, But she does. I do remember her having a like very satisfying like she kind of becomes the most like social bee with boys after her or whatever. Like, yeah. Yeah. Good. Because that's like definitely a um, a fat person's storyline. <laughs> and yeah. um, but I love that. It, I love it. If she becomes uh, the hot piece and mm-hmm. uh, just because her friends open their eyes, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, is very satisfying for me. Thank you. Yeah. And she does also have a boyfriend in the she book, does. which she like does. she's one of two of the characters who have a boyfriend. 
I think we also have got to talk about how fucking gay everything is. (laughs) (laughs) Say more, please. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I know that Mia is just talking about boys constantly. But Mia, maybe it's because I relate strongly to her as a teenager. Mia, to me, reads very, very much as the character who is always talking about boys out of compulsory heterosexuality and because she has not yet realized that like oh maybe I tag along in the wake of this like confident girl because there's a little more to it than just like wanting to be on her closed circuit television network you know like Mm -hmm. and and I mean it's not just the combat boots and the the you know not like other girls I don't know how to put on lipstick thing uh, which doesn't make sense when she has this like total like hot fam of a mom around. Yes, that's um, true. I'm so, I'm so in love with Helen Thermopolis. I can't even. I like... mean, I think that the for me, what what there were, okay, what coded as gay for me was Gromare. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> the queen. Does um yeah no say more because I felt like there was a very explicitly gay moment with Gromare. On this read through, just her love of the sidecar, like um, she likes a good like, or maybe I just pictured her this way. Like I, I very much pictured like a little ascotty neck kerchief uh, <laughs> situation. Sure. Like, like just there's something. I think it's also in the well. I think that one the talking constantly about like regalness and all that like that touches a lot on stuff that we see in um drag ballroom culture and things like that right now um but also because of the movie i know that there's a thing between uh the queen and uh her driver her assistant no that's completely made up in the movie that doesn't exist in the books that's one of the things that they just completely completely made up i was like getting ready i was like i'm so sorry it's a lie i was like I think that the dowager may be a top. Like, I was like, this is real fun. But now, swarted. Dang. I think that the dowager may be a top, though. She could be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the biggest lie that the movie tells is that Grammaire is Julie Andrews. Grammaire is much more Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada. Uh, but, like, 20 years yeah. older. Grammaire yeah. is like Judy Dench as Catherine de Berg. Grammaire <laughs> is a bad bitch. <laughs> like, yeah. She is scary. Um, and like, I always see her as like Isma from um, The Emperor's you know, New Groove. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. That's amazing. <laughs> I need to reread this book now with this perspective. She's like a Disney villainess. Like, she's just, like, wafting around in purple with her big eyeliner, barking at people and petting her hairless poodle um, who wears outfits. Like, she is she is such a good character. That's and the hilarious. other thing that I think the movie kind of stole from us is that they kill me as father. Exactly. And so we don't get, like... The casting is right there. She calls him Jean-Luc Picard like so many times. Yes. I'm sorry. I can't say that name without putting the French on it. So many times. Like literally just get Sir Patrick Stewart to be her dad. Like how good would that be? They robbed us of her hot kingly dad uh, being terrified of his mother. 
Oh boy. <laughs> and being an absolute <laughs> fuck boy. <laughs> so many things in the movie are just not true. The fact that they, like, we know Anne Hathaway looks great in a pixie cut. We know that we from do. Fontaine. The book is very explicit about her having a Rosemary's Baby haircut <laughs> that, like, it's supposed to be a little dated because her grandmother does it, right? Her grandmother yes. goes back to her idea of fashion. And we kind of see this a lot with Grandmère throughout the books, where Grandmère will be like, well, this is what is done. And it turns out Grandmère is completely wrong because her idea of fashion is 40 years old. But instead of giving her the pixie cut, they gave her the, like, glamour girl 90s blowout, right? Which looks amazing on her. Yes. But it, 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 felt, it felt to me... Now, I haven't seen the movie in a really long time. And I watched it when I was in my really, like, foaming at the mouth, like, movie adaptations must be very close to books phase. Okay. So I should give it another chance. But I felt like it kind of like ground down all the edges and made it very, it kind of disnifies it, right? You have Julie Andrews as the like very kind, comforting, nurturing grand-mère. They yes. like get rid of the father altogether. They add that like Disney dead parent aspect to it. Um, the thing with Michael is like really, really different. Yes, uh, it the, is quite different. The thing with Josh is pretty much the same, more or less. Fat Louis is also amazing in both. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> Fat Louis star of the show. But there's just like there's just like a lot that's different. And like I felt like it was in an era where they really kind of needlessly made movies different. Like there wasn't it was they did the same thing with Ella Enchanted, like which I think is the last time we talked about Princess Diaries was actually in a Princess Smackdown with Ella Enchanted, which is pretty there funny. But where they just like change the story completely and there's really no need for it. It's like changes that like were not necessary at all to the adaptation process. Uh-huh. Like I definitely understand like merging Princess Diaries and Princess in the spotlight to give a little more content, whatever. But like they just changed so much. That's hilarious. Um, and I have feelings about <laughs> no, you're, I love that you have feelings about it. Um, um, it's not your feelings that are hilarious. It's your ranting that's <laughs> hilarious. Um, it brings me joy. If there's okay. one thing I can be relied on. <laughs> it's a good rant. I Absolutely. mean, but also, I love the fact that this is something that is near and dear to your heart also mm -hmm. from, you know, from from being a younger person and, and reading this kind of at the right time and all yeah. of that like I, I I get it like it's like um what is the expression uh kill your darlings like yeah. I think this, this is this is one of them but I mean I don't think it takes away from 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 the cheese like I think that what what I really got out of this book was just it, it's a setup for some romance yeah and it's real sparkly and everything is real easy and all of that but but ultimately what it is is a setup for a like good fluffy romance it's That's it's it. a fairy tale it's a fairy yeah. tale and not the dark version the disney version um That's now true. i will just tell you briefly because it didn't come up in this book and i have the other books i have not all of them but most of them so if you ever want to give one a try you can let i me may know. Um, but Michael writes her a computer program as a, like, romantic gift. Yeah. He, like, programs her a little, like, scenario thing to ask her out on a date. <laughs> and it is... Because that's the thing is, like, Michael is a big dork. And they make him into this, like, cool band guy in the movie. And yes. 
no, Michael is like an introverted, like awkward, dorky little science and music nerd. Um, and as somebody who crushed pretty much exclusively on that type in high school, um, <laughs> you know who you are. Uh, that that just got me, you know. That's amazing. I think I think all of my high school crushes now know. Okay. I was not like subtle. <laughs> I don't imagine you as being uh, subtle for some reason, and not in a not in a not in a grotesque way, obviously. But in I mean, a very, I tried like... to be subtle. I'm just my my Venus is in Aries. I'm not good at it. What can I say? Aries placements. I think we were are gonna need to do a movie episode now. I think we're gonna have to watch it and talk about it. That sounds like a great plan. Yeah. To it. Yeah. Yeah. All Little right. Julie Andrews. I'll I'll revisit it with a fresher perspective. Exciting. Thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. I am, again, so behind on the inbox, but I promise I am keeping an eye on it. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at yapodcast, and individually, I'm at catty underscore d, and you're at tefferbear. Indeed, and that is going to be the much faster way to get a hold of us, just for the record. So if you're not pitching a book or something, hit us up there and we'll get back to you real quick. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. You also help pay for our hosting fees and um, just keep us going. Um, And it is entirely due to Patreon support that we've been on the air as long as we have. Head to patreon.com slash yapodcast to donate. Shout out to our patrons Catherine Reshi, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenhove, Chantal Thomas, Erica Stutchberry, Megan Jane, Maddie Dever, and Emmett, Emmett Cameron. We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Tee Public. You can also always support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, subscribing on Spotify, and by sharing this episode with a friend. Maybe a friend you shared a journal with in high school. Absolutely. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song, Jenny's Groove, as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by me and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Pod Cavern. You can find out about all the other great shows in the Pod Cavern at podcavern.com. Bye. Bye bye. Report. Set collection. Discrepancy straight lined, Moth said. Meet Moth. Moth travels everywhere and every when, in search of often deadly discrepancies, and tries to make sense of the briefs she gets from collection. There were holes in the brief, you know. I don't like that. The Moth Collection Podcast. It's science fiction with a little bit of horror. It's weird and funny and romantic, and there won't be another season. Fourteen episodes, and that's it, people. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by Podcavern. I'm Tom Zalatni. And I'm Tefer Ajamian. And we're the hosts of the No Bad Food podcast. No Bad Food is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all... 
there's no such thing as bad food. Find us in the Pod Cavern or wherever fine podcasts are sold.